Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? Really? How are you guys doing today? <laughs> You're all cold, aren't you? You're like, that's how we're doing. It's cold. It's terrible. It's not supposed to be like that, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure in heaven we're never going to have days this cold, all right? So, like, we got something to look forward to. But I tell you, it is so good to be with you. It's so good to look out. It's just good to be in the presence of people who know each other, who we know, who we love each other. It's just good to be with family, isn't it, church? And, uh, you know, those of you online, we love you. And, uh, you know, hope you're snuggled in and cozy wherever you are out there in digital world. But really great to see so many here in person today. So thanks for braving the cold weather. And last week, we uh, mentioned to you, uh, give you the proposal of the 2023 OCC budget. And today, you get the opportunity to affirm that budget. Uh, so after the service, there are two spots in the lobby where you can do that. There's the two black giving boxes, and next to them, there's a table uh, like this next to each one, and it has uh, the spots for you to either affirm or deny the budget. Um, I'm going to ask you to affirm it, but you know, if you can't, let us know, and uh, we appreciate that honest feedback as well. But want to remind you what affirmation means. Affirmation doesn't mean you give a thumbs up and say, that's great. Other people should make this happen. Affirmation says, I think this is great. I'll do what I can to help make this happen. I will participate. I will live and give sacrificially to make sure that we can continue to move the mission and ministry of God's kingdom forward right here at OCC and beyond. So make sure you stop by those spots in the lobby and, uh, and let us know your position on that. Um, well, let's jump right into it today. Well, we are wrapping up today a series called The Quest, where we've taken a look at how to attain and maintain financial stability and health uh, throughout life. Even in uncertain economic times, we can be certain of God's principles through all time. And so today, we're going to be talking about legacy. And in Proverbs 13, 22, we read this, that a good person, who here wants to be a good person? I'm surprised at how few hands just went up, right? Like, who wants to be a good person? Like, some of y'all are like, I kind of want to be the bad guy, right? Like, who wants to be a good person, right? Everybody, you want to be the good person, right? Good, good. So a good person leaves an inheritance, not just for their children, but for their children's children. So they're thinking not just about the next generation, but the generation even beyond that. But a sinner's wealth is stored up, but who gets it? It's stored up for the righteous, and they can't take it with them, so the righteous will take care of that. So what this tells us right off the bat is that a responsible person, a responsible parent, takes care of their kids and grandkids. They are future-minded. And that means a responsible parent has a will. And a will is simply a legal document that says where all of the things that you've accumulated, your assets, your monies, your possessions, where they go, who they go to, how much of it goes to each one of them, it simply spells out how you plan to take care of those who you love and care about once you're gone. And that means to not have a will is to let somebody else decide what will happen to all of your assets, to all the things you've accumulated, to your money and possessions and that, and who they will go to. And so... To create a will is to be future-minded. It's to be intentional. It's to acknowledge that someday I won't be here, but some of the people I love will be, and I want them to be taken care of. It's to acknowledge that we have to plan for the future. It won't just happen naturally, and so we got to prepare for the end. So to help you do that, tonight we are hosting in partnership with our ministry partner, Christian Financial Resources, the Legacy Planning Seminar. Now, you've heard me mention this. You've been with us throughout the series. You've heard me mention this almost every week. And I'll tell you in a moment why I'm so passionate about this. 
But I'm so proud of so many of you. We've got a great turnout for tonight. Uh, we actually had to move from the other room that we were going to be in, and we'll be in here for this, and that's great. Um, but there's still more room for you. So if you haven't signed up yet, if you're one of those commuers, the people who keeps my options open, and I got to admit, sometimes I'm like that. If you're a commuing person and you haven't signed up yet and nothing else came up, listen, this is what you need to do tonight. This is what you want to do tonight. Plus, we're giving you some dessert to sweeten the deal. There's going to be great cupcakes. But you're going to want to join us 630 tonight. You can sign up um, if you text notes to 502-289-1387. Uh, that'll do a couple things for you. One, it gives you a link to today's sermon notes. And you can take notes or just get the already filled out version. I encourage you to do that and follow along if you want. Um, but also you'll be able to RSVP for tonight's legacy planning seminar. And I really encourage you to do that because it's free for you. And on the backside of that, our ministry partners with CFR and others will work with you to help you create healthcare directives, a living will, living trust to make your estate plan. Now here's why I'm so passionate about that. Is one, it's a free thing that we get to give you. And I love being able to help people and give them free stuff. But in my role as a pastor, and this is the much bigger deal, in my role as a pastor, I've sat with many, many individuals and families in the moments and days following the loss of someone they love. And in all those occurrences, I've never sat with the family after they have uh, lost somebody they love and heard the family complain that their loved one had planned too much. Oh, they had too much planned out for when they were in the hospital with the healthcare directives and we knew exactly what to do. That was so frustrating. Oh, they had their you know, uh, life insurance planned out and they had a will done and they took all, care of all these. Like nobody ever complains that they've planned too much. But I have sat with too many families and too many individuals who've had their grief amplified in the moments and days after they lost someone they loved because their loved one had failed to plan. And this isn't just for older people and this isn't just for married people with kids. This is for everyone. Because all of us have someone who cares about us. All of us have someone who loves us. Even those healthcare directives. It's such an important thing. And when somebody's in the hospital and it comes time to make difficult decisions, that we've let people know what decisions we would prefer they make. That's just a kindness that we can show to the ones we care about. It, it eases the burden. Listen, nothing will remove the burden in those moments, but it does ease the burden for our loved ones when we have some of those things planned out in advance. And when they know what our plans are for a funeral, what our plans are for all those things, it just makes it easier for them. So I encourage you to do that. Now, about 15 years ago, my wife and I, we were in our early 30s, and Jen and I were planning, uh, planning for a trip to Nairobi, Kenya. We were going on mission to Nairobi, and we were going to be there for about two weeks. And as we were prepping for this mission trip, we knew that some of the things we were going to be doing might be a little dangerous, might take us through some difficult places. And in that, we realized that while we had had a lot of conversations with each other about what would happen if one of us were to pass We'd only had some very basic conversations about what would happen if both of us were to pass. And we talked about that with each other. We hadn't talked a whole lot with other family about that. In fact, I'm pretty sure some family would have been surprised if something would have happened like, oh, they got three kids. Who gets them? All right? I mean, it was kind of, woo. So we hurried to connect with a lawyer in our church, a very trusted individual who helped us create a will and put some of those things 
on paper and get some of those thoughts down. We went on that mission trip. We came back. But on the backside, we realized there was still a lot more to do, that we had a lot more questions and a lot more gaps than we had filled in. And so about that time, the church that we attended at that time was offering one of these legacy planning seminars, and we attended, and we created all those things. In fact, we'll be in attendance tonight because our kids are a little bit older. We have some different things now. It's time to update some of our things, and so we're going to update it. And let me tell you, while it was a little bit sad to think through what's going to happen with our kids once we're, I mean, it was just kind of sad to think through our kids without us. Like, man, I love my kids. I want to see all these things happen, but we know, like, the sadness was erased because my wife and I know where we're going. Like, our hope, our faith, our trust is in Jesus. We know that when this life is over, it's really just begun. And we've got a lot more time in eternity. And we know because of the decisions our kids have made to make Jesus the leader of their life and to allow him to be their savior, that they're going to join us there. So really, there wasn't a whole lot of sadness. It really just felt responsible. Responsible to think through making sure our kids are taken care of if we're gone, when we're gone, the same way we work to make sure they're taken care of while we're here. And you know, there's some sadness with that, but there's also a lot of joy. We get to share with our kids why we would make some of the decisions we've made, and we get to walk them through some of that. We wanted to make sure that as we think through the end, and we're thinking with the end in mind, that we're not just passing on our valuables, but also our values here in the present. We don't want to just give them assets at the end. We want to leave them values throughout life, and so those values shape it. And for us, we believe in generosity. We have found the joy and the freedom, the life-giving nature of living generously, and so we want to make that part of what happens at the end, and that means we disappointed our kids and said, it doesn't all go to you. (laughs) Some of it goes to other places. Some of it's going to go to the church. Some of it is going to go to other ministries and missions that Mom and I are very passionate about that we love their cause. Now, we're also going to take care of our kids and eventually grandkids, that kind of stuff. And the funny thing was, as we did that, we also talked to our kids about all these other decisions we make along the way, you know, having life insurance, and we've talked to them about that, and, you know, so that the kids know that dad's life insurance is the, the most substantial in the home because of the nature of my job and all that as the provider. So Ethan, sometimes, our son, will joke I think he's joking. I really hope he's joking. But he's like, hey, guys, if the house catches fire, everybody get out quick, but get out quietly. Like, don't wake up dad. We'll see him in heaven. It's good. (laughs) Now, it reminds me. I I really think he's joking, I think. Now, it reminds me of something that Bob Russell, longtime preacher and pastor over at Southeast Christian Church, said. He said, whenever parents and grandparents leave an inheritance for their kids and grandkids, it's a beautiful thing, it's a blessing, it's a really grand thing. But he, throughout the years, has reminded people, you don't have to wait until the end to leave them on the blessing. He says, in fact, you can give them bite-sized nuggets of that blessing along the way. And in doing so, you get a double blessing yourself. One, you get to see your family enjoy what otherwise would only happen after you're gone. You get to see them enjoyed in the present. And number two, while you're giving them things along the way, they're a little less eager for you to die. So, <laughs> now I think that's really wise advice. And, and listen, we could get into all the weeds and we could get into all the, the details of wills and trusts and all that stuff. But I'm gonna say that for the professionals tonight. Instead, I'm gonna shift gears with us. Because just as there are wills of physical assets that we have, There's also a will of spiritual assets. What we will pass on to other generations with what we value, with what we believe, with what we desire for them to know of our God. 
And God encourages us through his word again and again and again, not just to think of today, and not just to think of ourselves, and not just to think of our generation, but to think about the generations to come. And not just our kids' generation, but our grandkids and fourth and fifth generation down the road. He encourages us to look down the road. But sometimes what we see is what happens when the church hasn't done a good job of that, when God's people haven't done a great job of passing on their values. In fact, Judges chapter two is just one of those passages. And as a spiritual leader, this is one of those passages that causes me great concern. Since the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Now, Joshua and the other leaders had seen God do miraculous, awesome things. Joshua was the right hand to Moses. He he had seen the pillars of fire and cloud leading the people. He'd seen God provide food miraculously in the desert. He'd seen the parting of the Red Sea. He'd seen all these great things. He saw the parting of the, the Jordan River and the entrance into the promised land and going into Canaan. He saw again and again God provide for his people miraculously. And so Joshua had experienced all that. And then we see this with Joshua, a simple statement that actually says quite a bit, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord Moses, died at the age of 110. That's a good life, a long life. And they buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. But then this is the verse that causes me pause. After that generation died, another generation grew up who neither acknowledged the Lord nor remembered the mighty things he had done for Israel. Church, that should cause all of us pause. We're just one generation away from being obsolete. I mean, this is Joshua, one of the heroes of faith and his generation. They entered into the promised land. They had seen God provide in such miraculous ways. And the next generation had neither seen, nor heard, nor revered, nor followed. About 20 years ago, I was a high school social studies teacher, but I was also high school track and field coach. And when I coached track and field, I loved coaching track and field. Man, it's just it's a fun sport. It was my sport when I was younger. And of all the events, I love coaching all the events, but one of the events that was most fun for me was coaching the relays, all the different relays, different relays, the four by one, four by two, the medley relay, the four by four, four by eight. I mean, it was just fun. And you might not know, unless you've been a runner, unless you've been in a relay, that those races actually aren't won all on speed. It's not just on how fast the athletes are. In fact, you could have the four fastest athletes at a track meet and put them in a relay, and they might still lose. Because the relay is one not just in the speed of the athlete, but in how well they pass the baton. In fact, we seldom had the, the four fastest athletes on our team, but we usually, almost always, won our relays. In fact, we'd go to state and we'd win relay meet. We'd win the state with our relays. And our Our athletes, they weren't the fastest athletes, but they were the best, they were the smoothest at passing the baton, taking it from one person and getting it to the hand of another. The relay is won or lost with how you pass the baton. The race is won or lost with how you pass the baton. And here we see in Judges chapter two that one generation (laughs) drops the baton. Now what we see also is later on, there are those faithful 
who bend down, pick it up, and continue to run. But church, it's incumbent upon us to make sure we do all that we can to pass the baton well to the generations who will come behind us. We've gotta be intentional about not just passing on our valuables, but also passing on our values. Proverbs 22, six tells us, it's upon us to train up our children. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he won't depart from it. And you've probably seen this verse before. You've probably seen it on a cute coffee mug or a wall hanging, and, and we know we need to train up our children. We need to impart information to them, impart our wisdom to them, to pass on not just our wealth, but our knowledge to them. And you've seen this verse, but unfortunately, this isn't exactly the way the verse was written originally. In fact, this verse actually comes from the, the Hebrew text, right? So the original language that Proverbs was written in was ancient Hebrew. And in the ancient Hebrew, in the original text of the ancient Hebrew, the word should does not appear there. It actually reads this way. Train up a child in the way he goes, and then even when he's old, he won't depart from it. It, it keeps more with the pithy wisdom of Proverbs. It's not so much a promise, but a, a proverbial wisdom, it, it, it reads this, right? This is a slight but very significant difference. That if you train your child in the way your child naturally goes, and when your child's older, naturally they're gonna go the way they've always gone. Now, how many parents have we got in the room? Any parents in the room? Parents online? You say, yeah, I'm one, right? How many of your children are naturally bent towards righteousness? Like, how many of your kids naturally shared their toys with another? How many of them naturally spoke gratitude to people? How many of you never had to teach your kids how to write a thank you note and how to say they just did it on their own? How many of you, your kids just were natural little conduits of grace and mercy and kindness? and Like they never threw a fit in the supermarket checkout aisle. They never got bent about things, right? Like no, right? Like for most of us, for nearly all kids, that's not how it went. And you know why? Because they got mama's DNA in them. They got daddy's DNA in them, right? Like, because they're our kids. Because they're human. And as humans, we're all flawed, right? Like, most kids don't interact that way naturally. In fact, what comes natural is selfishness and greed and a lack of gratitude and impatience and on and on and on. And for our kids, it's really fortunate for them that they're cute. Because if our kids looked like gremlins, they would never make it to puberty, Right? <laughs> Like, we would end them long before that. Like, man, it's a good thing you're cute because you, your attitude is not. If your attitude looked like, like, if you looked like your attitude, like, boom, it's, it's just done. We're like, like, you know, put you out in the doghouse, right? Now, listen, some of you, you've heard this proverb and you've heard it as a promise. You've heard, well, if I raise my kid in the church, I take him to Sunday school, and I get him involved in kids' men, I get him involved in student ministry, and I, we pray before meals, and we sometimes talk about Jesus in the home, and we do the good church thing, and then when they're old, they're gonna, they're gonna be fine. They're gonna go to church, they're gonna follow God, it's gonna be good, and they're, they're fine. That's just not what it says. Like, you can trust your Bible, but just know that sometimes the translation gets tricky, and we, we miss it a little bit. It's just not what this verse says. It's actually telling us that if we don't work to impart righteousness to our kids, then obviously they're not just gonna catch it from the wind. That if we don't work against the natural inclination of our children and work against their sinfulness, then when they're older, of course, they're gonna keep walking in the way of their sin. And so we have to push hard against that. 
We've got to train against that and train them against their natural sin tendencies and train them for righteousness. And if we train them for righteousness, then maybe, maybe they'll overcome those sin tendencies. But here's what we know. That our kids have their own free will, that they are their own people, that they're gonna choose to be who they want to be, not necessarily who we would desire them to be. And we can do everything we can. It's just like when I was coaching my athletes, you gotta get that baton, you gotta put it in their hand. Your job is to put the baton in their hand, but it's their job to grab hold and keep running. You get the baton there, it's up to them if they take hold of it. And some of you, because you've heard this as a promise, and because things with your kid have played out different than you thought it would, you feel like God has lied to you. You feel like he's failed you. Or you feel like you failed God. Or maybe like you failed your kids. Or maybe all of it. So I just want to remind us to give ourselves some patience there, right? Like our kids are going to mess up. Our kids are going to drop the baton. Our kids aren't always going to grab hold of the baton of faith right away. And some of them are gonna mess up in ways very similar to us and sometimes they'll mess up in ways very different than us and sometimes it won't be as bad as we did. Sometimes it'll be worse than we did and we gotta learn how to help them navigate all that. But what we know is that sometimes our kids are going to mess up. And you know why? Because they're human. Because they have our DNA in them. Listen, pastor's family, not excluded. Just because I'm a preacher doesn't mean my kids don't make mistakes. <laughs> Just because I'm a preacher doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. I make plenty of them. And so do my kids. And it happens. You know, sometimes we as parents, we, we blow it, right? Not like we say what we shouldn't say or we don't say what we should or we say what we should but we say it in the wrong way or sometimes we're too passive or we're too angry or we're too this or we're too that or we're doing our best to navigate and we try to help them. And listen, as parents, we are going to drop the ball. We're going to mess it up. We're gonna mess it up. I just tell my kids, listen, I'm just giving you something to talk to your counselor about later on, right? Like, you're welcome. <laughs> Enjoy this in 10 years when you're paying money to talk to the counselor. I'm just setting it up for you. But if we do the best we can according to God's word, now we could really mess up if we say forget God and we're trying to do it all on our own. But as we submit to God, we surrender him and we do our best to follow, we're still gonna mess it up. But here's what you need to know because our kids are gonna mess up too. And so I wanna, I wanna encourage you parents to give yourselves some grace because you are not responsible for every decision that your child makes. They have free will. Especially the older they get, the more it's on them. And so give yourself some grace there. Now with that, do what you can to lead them well and to pass the baton as smoothly as you can. You know, the Fitz home, we've realized, and I'll tell you, my wife is way better at this than I am. But we've realized through the years that perhaps the most important part of our legacy will be how we interact with our children when they aren't doing well. When it comes to those times when they mess up, we need, to, we need to show them God. We need to respond to them the way God responds to us when we're not doing well. With grace and mercy and love 
and tenderness and compassion and forgiveness while still holding us accountable and showing us truth and being firm. And so a phrase that my wife and I have learned that no matter what is going on in the home, a phrase that we've learned that suits us well is when our kids mess up, we just let them know, we love you, we're for you, we're here for you, and we are going to get this, get through this together. Love you, we're for you, we're here for you, and together we'll get through it together. Now, we don't always know what that looks like. We don't always know what all that means. We don't always know how all the tension is gonna get worked out, and we don't do it perfectly. But we do know that that's how God has responded to us again and again. And perhaps that's one of the greatest things we can do in the legacy we leave our kids. So as we wrap up this series on finances, let me talk a bit about this, right? Like, for sure, we should pass on to our children and teach them how to budget their money. But way more, let's teach them how to budget their time and to budget their energy and to budget their relationships. And yes, we should teach our kids to avoid financial debt and to get out of debt. But way more, let's point them to the only one, Jesus, who can erase their sin debt. And let's teach our kids to save and to save money and be wise with that. But way more, let's direct them to Jesus, who's the only one who can save them. And let's model for our kids a life of generosity, a life of contentment in Christ, a life of investing, but not just investing our money and investing our time, but investing our lives in the cause of Jesus, in his kingdom, in his glory. And let's teach our kids the joy of having our hearts shaped by the heart of the Father who is generous and learning to be generous with all our time and our values and our, our energies as well as all our resources and our money. Let's teach our kids that they are accepted in Christ by grace, not because of what they do, but because of what Jesus has already done for them through the cross and through the empty tomb. Let's teach our kids to find the abundance of life that only is available when we follow God. And let's teach our kids to live with accountability to the unique calling God has placed upon their lives. And I don't just mean our biological children or our adopted children. I mean our spiritual children as well, those who come behind us in the faith, all those whom we would influence in the generations to come. Church, we must be future-minded. And when we're future-minded, it means we hold an acorn in our hand, but we see a forest. It means we know that we plant one acorn and an oak tree grows and that tree eventually will drop other acorns and they'll find their way into the ground and then other trees grow from that and then they drop and, and eventually from the planting of one tree, a forest is there. So we are willing to dig in the dirt today so that someday others may rest in the shade. And it's a long game. It's for the long haul. But that's what Christ has invited us into. And so we lean into that kind of legacy because legacy is your mark on the world. It's the footprint you leave behind. It's your contribution to the world around you. And friend, you are leaving a legacy whether you recognize it or not. The question is, what kind of legacy are you leaving? You know, it might be possible for you to get to the very end of your life, to be in your final moments, breathing your final breath, and look back on your life and realize that you've wasted every moment up until then by chasing after all the wrong things, by being just about money or possessions 
or, or your pride or your name or whatever it might be. And you can invest in all the wrong things and get to the end of your life and realize you've wasted it. So we gotta determine what we wanna be known for, who we wanna be at the end, right? The question really becomes whether or not we will be intentional with the legacy we leave. Church, I encourage you to be intentional, to look towards the end, to get in your mind who you wanna be, how you wanna be known, who you wanna be at the end of your life, what you want to be said of you. Because you get to the end of your life and you want to be said, oh, he had all this money and all the accounts. I'm pretty sure at that moment, it's gonna feel pretty empty. Oh, he made a great name for himself, gonna feel pretty empty. Oh, he accomplished all these things, built all this stuff, did all these things, went to all these places. I'm pretty sure it's all gonna be empty, save for one thing. If somebody looks at you at the end of your life and says, my life's better because of that person, then you win. And so we've got to invest ourselves in the right things. It doesn't mean those other things don't matter. It just means they don't matter nearly as much. So invest your life in the right things. Determine who you want to be. I appreciate how Darren Key, who wrote The Quest, the book we've been using for this series, how when he was here a few weeks ago and I had the privilege to interview him, how he ends his book and how we ended that interview, Darren mentioned his life verse and his life mission, his life calling. What a beautiful thing that is. To search the scriptures until there's a passage or a verse that just lifts off the page to you, that God just thumps into your chest and says, this is yours. This is what I've created you for. And if you've not done that, I encourage you to search out God's word and find that life verse for you. To to write your own personal mission statement, why you're here, what you wanna do, who you wanna be known as. And, And I'll save you from all the details for me, but I'll tell you, mine is summed up in two words, faithfulness and fruitfulness that I wanna be faithful to the one who's always been faithful to me, that I wanna be faithful to his church, that I wanna be faithful to the calling he's placed on my life, that I wanna be faithful to the mission he has invited me to be in, and I wanna be faithful to my wife and my family and then to everyone else. And I want my life to bear fruit. Not just the righteousness that I would be known as a righteous person, just means we're right with God. It's all about Jesus, really not about me. But more than that, I want the fruit of righteousness to overflow from my life, to help other people find Jesus and follow him and run hard after him. That if God can use me to help other people get to him, that's why I wanna be, that's who I wanna be. So friend, I encourage you this week to spend some time as you're thinking about gratitude and you're thinking about all the joys of the holiday to think about who God has created you to be. See, sometimes we have this warped idea that legacy is just wrapped into our productivity and what we make, what we accumulate, and all those things. But I think when we think of it that way, we miss it. I think sometimes we ask the wrong question. You see, legacy is not so much about what did I do, it's way more about who did I become. Our legacy is defined by who did I become? Because God has created you uniquely. He's given you your unique wiring and personality different than anybody else, your passions, desires, and preferences. And he's given you your unique set of skills and abilities and gifts different than everybody else. He's given you your unique 
accomplishments in life to give you a platform for his glory. He's given you your unique limitations, and that might sound bad, but your limitations are actually beautiful if you allow them to be, because when you get to the end of your abilities and skills and you find your limitations, then you find you gotta lean into God, you gotta trust him and say, God, this is beyond me, I gotta look to you. And he's given you your unique failures and flaws so that you could help other people who might have similar failures and flaws. When they go through the valley, you've already been there. You can help them through. And he's given you your unique geography, your place. And he's given you your unique time at this time in history. Out of all the places, out of all the people, out of all of history, God has made you unique to have your unique spot with the circle of relationships you have because he's given you a unique relationship set, a network where you to influence others. So the question becomes, what are you gonna do with it because you are responsible you and you alone are responsible for what you do with the one life God has given you so what will you do with that who will you be known as will you lean into the legacy will you lean into who God created you to be or are you going to chase all these other things that are fleeting and meaningless will you pursue Christ and Christ alone listen to how the apostle Paul spoke of legacy said, my life is worth nothing to me unless, unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. And here was Paul's calling on his life. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And what a beautiful thing that is. Think of the legacy we have in Jesus. That not just the beauty of the forever future that awaits us, but an overflowing life of abundance available in the right here and now present time today. And so Paul spoke to his child in the faith, his understudy, his good friend, his mentee, Timothy. And he said, so Timothy, my child, and I'm just gonna let you know, this is kind of a life verse for me. Be strong in the grace that comes from Jesus. Don't try and find your strength in anything else. Find your strength in Jesus alone. And then take all these things you've heard me say in the presence of many other witnesses. and Pass them on. Pass it on. Pass it on to other faithful men and women who are willing to pass it on to others still. See, Paul grabbed hold of the baton of faith and he passed it to Timothy. And then Timothy grabbed hold of the baton of faith and he passed it to others. And then they grabbed hold and they passed it to others. And it just keeps going until 2,000 years later, here we are, church. And it's up to us each one of us, will we grab hold of the baton of faith and will we run with it? And here's what I love about Paul's story. As so Paul realized that legacy was way more than just how he lived his life. It was about how he was influencing the lives of all of the others around him. And Paul had not always been the good guy. He was actually the bad guy for a while. He, he was a guy who wasn't out planting churches and being a missionary and being God's man, he was actually persecuting the church of Jesus. He was an antagonist against God. He, he was throwing Christians in jail and having them murdered and then get, God got a hold of him and, and repositioned him and repurposed him and, and set him on a whole new trajectory. And what we know from that is that our yesterday doesn't have to define our today or our tomorrow. That whatever you've done up to this point, if you said, man, I've been blowing it so far, I've been wasting it so far, my legacy is junk so far, it doesn't have to stay that way. That your yesterdays don't have to determine your tomorrow. That your past doesn't have to determine your future. That God wants to and is willing to and is trying to write a whole new story, a whole new chapter for your life. 
And some of you, it's about your past and all the things you messed up and how you, you just blew it. And for some of you, it's about not what you did, but what was done to you in the past. You got handed a pretty lousy legacy. You got handed a whole lot of junk, but you don't have to stay that way. You can be an overcomer through the grace that is in Jesus Christ. If you're strong in his grace, you can overcome that. And he wants to write a new legacy for you. He wants to write a new chapter for you. You can rewrite the family tree. You can change it from here on out. You don't have to be stuck with what was. See, and this is a story of every person in Scripture. This story of all the heroes of faith, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Sarah, of Ruth, of Naomi, of Lydia, of Mary, of Joseph, of Joshua, of Peter, of Paul, of John of Mark, on and on it goes. It's people who realize they're flawed and they're limited, but our limitations don't define the unlimited grace and power of God. That our God is powerful beyond what we can do. That our God has grace beyond us. That we simply lean into his love to make up for our insufficiency. And so that means that the greatest legacy you will live It's not defined by millions of dollars in bank accounts or vacation homes or possessions you give. It's not defined by stock options that you'll pass on to the next generation. Your legacy is not defined by all these things of this world. It's not defined by whether you leave a great family name and family traditions or if your name is written in a book or carved in stone. There's only one book that matters for a name to be written in and that's his book, the book of life. Listen, your legacy, the legacy for you to live comes down to this. A life that is so saturated by the love of God that it just overflows in the lives of everyone else around you. Church, may that be the legacy that we grab hold of. May that be the legacy we live. And may you determine just one person, just one person who you'll pass that baton to. Let's pray. God, we know that when we lean into that kind of legacy, that it will echo beyond our lives throughout history, throughout eternity. God, we look forward to the day that we stand in front of you. And God, we pray that we will hear from you, well done, my good and faithful servant, God. God, we just, we thank you that you're the God who is redeemer and restore, the God who is rewriting our story, the God who hasn't given up on us. We thank you that our yesterdays don't have to define our tomorrow but that right now and today we can make a decision for you to pursue you with everything we have. And God, I pray that we will be a church of individuals who grab firmly the baton of faith handed to us and that we run faithfully with perseverance the race marked out before us and that we stand someday in your glory having spent our lives and invested our lives in your saving work on your mission. God, that we would stand in glory with all those who've come before us, but also all those who come behind us. That we would be known as people who follow hard after you and help others to find you and then to follow you as well. And God, we pray for this next generation and the generations to come, that as we pass the baton, as we put it in their hands, God, we pray that they would grab firmly that baton of faith and that they would run and that they would They would run with even more faith than we have, even more passion than we have, even more zeal than we have. God, that your church would flourish and grow beyond what we ever could do through these next generations. God, we we trust them to you. We surrender them to you. God, we ask you to take them. 
God, may Judges 2 not be our chapter. And God, we want all this for your glory. Knowing that when you are glorified in our lives, that's where the deepest satisfaction comes from. So God, that's our prayer, is that you will find glory upon glory upon glory from our lives. And that that would be the legacy we leave. And we pray all this in Jesus. Amen.